Uh, we're going to start out again this week with Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. And uh, I like that song. Uh, you know, I always think of the prophet Elijah and his servant. And uh, the servant's all nervous because look at the great armies that are surrounding them. Look at the great armies that are coming against them. And it looks too much for me, too much for him, too much for us. Uh, this is a man of God, but I'm scared because there's a lot of people with a lot of weapons pointing at us. And, uh, but his perspective was limited to what he could see. But what he couldn't see was there was actually an army of angels surrounding the army that was surrounding them. And as soon as the prophet said, Lord, let him see that, as soon as he saw that, wow, his thinking changed. Wow, his actions changed. Wow, he was stabilized in his faith. And so when uh, we fellowship with God, in other words, when we talk with God, when we come into the presence of God, when we draw near unto God, he said, I will draw near to you. And so in the midst of whatever is surrounding us, whatever seems like it's the prominent thing around us, when we draw up into the presence of God, Hebrews says that we come into the presence boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Man, that's what the servant of Elijah did. He, uh, you know, Elijah helped him because, you know, in that day, he didn't have the distinct advantage that we have is, you know, uh, the greater one lives in you and in me. Well, who is the greater one if you're a Christian? The greater one is God himself through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so we know that we may not feel like we're able to combat what's coming against us, what's coming against our mind, what's coming against our finances, what's coming against our physical body. And in yourself, you're, you're actually right. Most of the time, you can't handle it. You can't handle the mental attacks. You can't handle the stress. You can't handle the pressure. But we're not stuck with what we can handle. Because we learn in Philippians chapter 4 that we're to cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties over on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for us. Amplified translation says about us uh, watchful. What is it? Affectionately, Affectionately and for us watchfully. Yes. So we learn that we're not just to cast our cares because we don't want to be stressed out. We're to cast our cares because Jesus himself cares about us affectionately and watchfully. That means he's right there. He's right here this morning watching you, watching me, and he's affectionate towards us. Well, that passage of scripture in Philippians actually seems to be saying that Jesus wants to be involved in your stuff, in your junk, in what's going on and what's coming against you. But he is not enabled to get involved unless you give it to him. Isn't that amazing? And so many times I have in my life, I have gone through pressures and stresses and thinking, Lord, don't you understand what's going on? But I'm not like right up there in the presence of God asking this. I'm asking it really out of my mind. Like, Lord, you know, you must know what's going on. Like, uh, you have not because you ask not, right? And so I've gone through things in my life where I chose not to ask because I thought in my ignorance... You know, maybe this is too small for God, or sometimes this is too big for God, right? I mean, you think about that, and when you are not in the midst of the situation, it's an easy test to pass. 
But when you're in the midst of a situation, you have all these pressures and stresses. It's, you know, your flesh wants to say, no, I don't have time to pray right now. This is serious. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to get this taken care of. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, the devil will try to work through your mind and even influence your flesh to get you to keep you out of the presence of God. Because, man, there is answers to every situation awaiting you in the presence of God. And Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that Jesus is actually waiting and wanting to get right in the middle of your stuff and take it off of you, to take that heavy load off of you. I remember Brother Hagin used to, when he would talk about casting your cares on the Lord, he always used the example, if you had like a 50-pound sack of potatoes on your shoulder, and you're carrying this thing around, and I'm not a big guy, if you didn't notice. So if I'm carrying like 50 pounds, I'm probably like barely trying to, maybe I could if I stood just right, you know. But I could carry 50 pounds, okay. (laughs) But, you know, not as well as somebody that's maybe like 200 pounds, you know, because I'm only like 150. So, you know, it's, uh, what is that? It was a third of my weight. So anyhow, I'm carrying this 50-pound sack of potatoes. Well, don't you think I would know if uh, Tom came up and I like rolled it over onto his shoulders, would I feel the release? I'd feel like, oh, I feel taller now. I feel lighter now. And uh, man, person after person uh, after person after person, as I have prayed with people, had the privilege to bring them in to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I can tell you time after time after time after time, I love it because I'm expecting. They don't know what's going to happen. They just know I need help. But the second man, they're praying and they're saying, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ has, you know, died on the cross for my sins, was raised from the dead on the third day by God the Father, and I receive him. I take him now as my Lord and Savior. Man, the second they say that, I can hear their voice shift in the prayer. Because before, it's like a defeated, like I just need something. I can't do this any longer. The second they pray it, I mean, I would say probably not exaggerating, nine times out of ten, you know, I don't even ask them. They'll just say, oh. I feel like a, a weight was just lifted off of me. And for us sometimes, we have, if you're a Christian today, you have already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're already in the family of God. Uh, but one of the things that we tend to forget is how we came to Christ in the first place. <laughs> by giving him everything that we have, good and bad. Yeah. Like, here it is. Uh, you know... <laughs> What you see is what you get, Uh, because that's really the only way we can come to Jesus Christ and receive and not hold on to our stuff. We, We mentioned a few weeks ago about the rich young ruler who really wanted to come into the kingdom of God, and he was talking to Jesus, and he said, uh, Lord, I have like kept all of the commandments from my youth, from when I was young. I kept all the commandments, and you know, and I've given, um, uh, into the ministry and, and these type of things. And he said, Jesus said, he said, what do I have to do to get to heaven? You know, he's kind of expecting the Lord's going to be like, you know what, Sonny, you're way ahead of everybody else. Like you've already done all this. These people don't do this, but you do this here. Let's all like uh, give a clap offering for this guy. <laughs> but he said, no, he said, well, you only lack one thing. Well, that's actually a, an amazing testimony for Jesus to say, you only lack one thing. But what he lacked was significant. And that was Jesus said, take all that you have, all of your finances, sell it, give the money to the poor. And it says that he went away sad, the young ruler, because he had what? Great possessions. You could almost say because great possessions had him. 
Because it really wasn't about Jesus is not trying to empty him out, right? It was really about Jesus saying, these have you, you don't have them. And so it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's actually the love of money or putting money in the wrong place, in an inordinate place. In other words, why are you making this decision? I talked about us moving out here to plant a church. Well, if I didn't move out here to plant a church because it costs too much money to move out here to plant a church, uh, money has me. Okay? And when we talk about giving, I've been saying, I think, the last few weeks, that's why I love it when the thought comes to me like... uh, you can't afford to give. Well, I like to give just a little more than what I was planning to give because I don't want to be dominated by that thought. I remember when the gas prices were so high. Uh, we were living in Michigan at that time, and uh, people would be constantly talking about how much it costs to fill up the car, how much it costs to fill up the car. Well, then I would look for people at the gas station and say, can I fill up your tank? Because I'm not going to be dominated by gas prices. Like, I don't want to let that thought get root in me and say, like, I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to fill up my car because I'm trusting in God and I'm looking for him to take care of me. And so uh, it's amazing to me in Philippians chapter four, where Jesus said, I want you to do this because I care about you. I don't want you to live that way. And I want to be involved in your life. And we find out, um, You remember when uh, Abraham was praying for, uh, 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 was it Sodom and Gomorrah? When he was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, you know, the Lord said, I'm going to destroy these cities because of the great wickedness that's in them. And Abraham went back to the Lord and said, Lord, like far be it from you to do such a thing. Would the righteous judge of all the earth, would he not do right? Uh, Peradventure there be 50 righteous would you destroy it? And the Lord said, no, no, for 50 righteous, I wouldn't destroy it. But surely he would have if Abraham didn't intercede. And then he said, well, what about 40? Because Abraham kind of knew, well, there's not 50 50 righteous there. Uh, No, I wouldn't for 40. And guess all, 30, 20, all the way down to 10. And uh, it's amazing to me the position that the believer is in, in the spiritual realm, and even in the natural realm. Because you realize, uh, you know, somebody says, well, this is the will of God, so it's just going to happen. So it's the will of God, you know, uh, for us to maybe plant a church out here, so it's just automatically going to happen. Well, do you know that God's will is that every human being on the face of the earth that has ever lived, that is living now, and that will ever live, is that every single one of us come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's God's will. And, you know, the sad thing is that's not going to happen, every single one. But that's God's will. That's God's heart. That's what he wants. But he has ordained us to actually tell people about Jesus, to minister the gospel, uh, to make it known. And so God's will is that you and I don't live a stress-filled life, that we're not all burdened down with all these things coming on us. But he has to have our cooperation in that. We have to take our cares, roll them off on him, and say, you know, I need your help. Have you ever, well, I I am a man. (laughs) And so you ever notice that some guys don't like to ask for direction? 
directions, like which way do I go? How do I do this? Um, or sometimes, like especially if you're like, you know, if I'm lifting this heavy 50-pound bag of potatoes, uh, it'd be kind of embarrassing for me as a guy to have to have help do that. So I'll be like, no, I'll do it myself. I'll just do it myself. And sometimes that mentality uh, creeps over into our spiritual life, into our uh, life of uh, trying to figure out what to do or how to do it or, uh, you know, connecting with God or not connecting with God. And really, we need help, whether we realize it or not. And uh, if you're a guy this morning uh, or you're listening or you're here, you know, you need help. (laughs) I have to tell you, you need help. And, you know, when you look at the word of God, if you want to figure out how to interpret it, you look at the law of first mentions. And that means, well, when it was first mentioned in the word of God, how was it used? Well, God looked at Adam in the garden and said, he needs help. (laughs) And so uh, he made a helper (laughs) because we need help. And then Jesus said, when he left, I mean, he did all these miraculous, wonderful, marvelous miracles. Never before did someone speak like him. Never before did someone do the things that he did. Never before was it like that. Before it was always philosophies and theories, and, but no actual like results. Yeah. It was all just more rules, more rules, more rules. Well, okay, there's the Ten Commandments, but uh, you're having trouble keeping those, so let me amplify those. Let me explain to you what this means. And, um, but, but Jesus came and man, he, uh, he turned things upside down. And so, uh, we find that our authority in our own life actually boggles my mind that I could resist God and I could say, no, I'm not going to like come into your kingdom. I'm not going to be part of your family, even though that's what you want. I'm not going to do it. That's your plan. I'm going against your plan. Well, uh, you talk about the law of first mentions. Uh, You know, we talked about God made a helper for him. Well, that's why I like to go back to when I received Jesus Christ. And I like you to go back to when you received Jesus Christ. How did it happen? How did you receive him? Because that's how you receive from God in every area of your life. You go back to that same experience. So what you reached out to him, uh, you gave him everything that you were. When you cast your cares upon him, it's exactly the same way. You know, you say, you know, uh, Lord Jesus, I need your help. And you said, I could bring all of these worries, all these thoughts, all of this pressure. I could bring it to you and you'd take it. And so I'm giving it to you right now. And so uh, maybe... In your life, you have been taught to worry, and that worry is a good thing. And uh, you ever had somebody, like you're traveling, and uh, they say, well, I'm worried about you, so you call me when you get there. I'm really worried. I'm really concerned. And, uh, you know, in most cases, I, well, some cases, people really are like they stay awake, and they really are like stressfully worried. In other cases, people are just trying to say, I'm interested in what you're doing, you know. Uh, but uh, so many times, people are like afraid. And um, that's not the way to live life. And maybe you've been taught that way. Uh, and I remember growing up thinking that, like, it was, it was good to worry for people. So I had to, like, unlearn it. And, um, and worry really is saying, like, uh, I'm trying to do this myself. I'm trying to accomplish this myself. And you don't really trust God in it. You're really trusting in yourself in it. And so if somebody is traveling in the middle of the night, driving all night long, and you're really worried about them, why are you stressed out and why are you fearful? 
because you can't do anything to stop them from having an accident yourself, right? right? Uh, In other words, because you're holding on to the situation yourself and refusing to let God get involved. How do we let God get involved? John Wesley said, it seems that God can't do anything on the earth or in the earth unless someone asks him. It seems he's limited by our prayer life. What does that mean? Well, that means uh, the whole reason that Jesus had to come in the flesh was because someone in the flesh named Adam and Eve messed everything up. We learned this in, uh, you know, Romans chapter 5. One man sinned, and then sin and death came upon all men. But then one man, Jesus Christ, made it right. So he had to come as one of us uh, to fix the problem. And so... uh, When we don't count the blood of Jesus as a, a worthy thing, or we don't recognize the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus, in other words, what's the blood of Jesus? Well, on the cross, he died, his blood was shed for you and for me, and then he actually took his own blood into a heavenly holy of holies. You know, I mean, they used to travel in the wilderness with the tabernacle, and then they had the temple in Jerusalem, and they would offer the blood of a, a goat or bull or lamb. And, um, but that was offered one time a year and they had to perpetually keep bringing it and bringing it. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered his own blood in the heavenly holy of holies once and for all. And then we learn that that blood actually is still speaking. So when I think of the blood of Jesus, I think, wow, that's amazing. That means every mistake that I have made, every mistake that I will make, the blood of Jesus is there right now, cleansing that, expunging that. Right? Somebody say, like, I got arrested for this, or I had a DUI, or was, uh, you know, in jail, and a felony offense. And, uh, you know, most of the time that's not expunged. They just remove it from your record. But there's another little computer that they can go and they can actually find out what you did, even after you have it removed. Okay? Well, the way that Jesus cleanses us from sin is not that way. Uh, and the, under the old covenant, the old testament, the old way, our sins were actually covered. So I think I mentioned earlier this year we were looking at a, a really old house, and then now we have a. I think the house was. They say it was built in 1949, but I don't believe them. I think it's older than that. But when we were looking at this really old house, which we found out was like 17 something, it had like I don't know. Jessica maybe remembers like layer after layer after layer after layer of paint on the house until you finally get down and see what's underneath, and so. That is not the way that our sins are removed from us. You can't actually peel back the layers and see like, oh, like here's the sin. In the great court of heaven, actually, uh, God said, I'll cast them. I'll throw them as far as the east is from the west. How'd you like to have him on your baseball team? That's quite an arm. Uh, In other words, you can't get there. You can't find them. Uh, The issue is the devil will try to bring a picture of it back up to you. Well, don't you remember when you said this or don't you remember when you did that? And if you listen to him and respond to him, he'll like put you in bondage when you're actually in freedom. Because he's trying to say, well, this, this, this. But you say, you know what? If any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I believe more devil in the power of the blood of Jesus than your power. So that's just a lie. That doesn't exist anymore. Sure, that may have happened, but it's been removed from existence in the courtroom of God. It's gone. 
So when he sees me, he doesn't see me as having done this. He actually sees the blood of Jesus. And so, I mean, it's a, that's good news. That's such good news. I want to read something to you uh, as soon as I get it in just a minute. But you realize when we come to Jesus Christ that uh, we don't come based on our works or our accomplishments or what we have done. Because if you come that way, what happens? You go away sad, like the rich young ruler. But he, he came with his accomplishments and his great wealth. And he went away what? He went away sad. Because he had such great wealth, he didn't want to give it up. He couldn't give it up. And so we've been looking the last uh, couple of months, really, at uh, Galatians and at... Um, Romans. And so I want to read Galatians chapter 2, thank you. Chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, before we were in, a, in this, this uh, shorter series on uh, love, we talked about faith a lot. And uh, Mark eleven twenty two 22 says, have faith in God, have the faith of God, or lay hold, grab hold of God's faithfulness. And you see, uh, here in Galatians 2, 20, we learn we live by faith of the Son of God. So we don't live by Tim's faith. We don't live by your faith. We live by faith, the faith of the Son of God. And Jesus said, lay hold on God's faithfulness. Grab hold of God's faith, right? So use God's faith for this. Well, if he's telling us to use God's faith, that must mean that God's faith is available to use. And if he's telling us to use God's faith and it's available for us to use, he says to do it, that must mean that we could use natural human faith instead of the faith of God and maybe not get the same results. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, it's kind of like giving. You could use natural human understanding in your giving and just say, okay, that's the last time I'll ever see that money. That money's going somewhere else. Or you could use the God kind of faith. Look in the Word of God. The God kind of faith comes from the Word of God. In other words, uh, uh, two kinds of unbelief. One is you don't know, and the other is you're not able to be persuaded to believe it. In other words, you know it, but you're like, ah, I just can't grab hold of that for some reason. I just don't believe that's true. Um, but when you look at the Word of God... That's where faith uh, awakens. That's where faith uh, is inspired. That's where faith comes from, is birthed from, is the very words of God. So if you don't know that when Jesus was on the cross, not only were all of our iniquities, that means our bents. Like, I tend to do these type of things, or most people in my family have trouble with this type of sin, 
and all of our sins were laid upon him. Most people, especially Christians, know that. But if you don't also know that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Uh, we learn in 1 Peter 2.24 and then Matthew 8.17 that Jesus himself took and bore in his own body and carried away our infirmities and our sicknesses. If you don't know that, you will not experience that. Yet he paid for it. It's real interesting. They say that you can actually classify every sickness and every disease into 39 categories. And Jesus was whipped 39 times in his body. Is that not amazing? So it's almost like he was whipped one time for each category of sickness and disease that exists. So he took the stripes, the pain, carried that all away uh, in his own body. Because of why? Because of his great love for us. Sometimes I look and I think, you know, well, why did Jesus come? And we can look sometimes and see that Jesus came and think, well, Jesus came for himself. And he rose from the dead for himself. I mean, he doesn't want to be stuck in hell. Do you know everything that he did, he did for you and he did for me. He was quite happy, doing quite well up in heaven. Like it says in Colossians, that he laid aside his mighty power and glory and became as mere man or became as one of us. And um, he came and he actually gave us an example of what we should do. He did what he did as a person anointed of God. Because he laid aside all of that uh, deity power, all of that, and he was anointed. You see that because, you know, he didn't do any miracles until he was baptized in the River Jordan, and then the Holy Spirit ascended in the form of a dove upon him, and then you see his ministry, miracle ministry, just begin. Boom, like that. Why? What was the, the Holy Spirit wasn't upon him before, now the Holy Spirit's upon him. Wow. What a difference the, the Spirit of God can make. So I want to read you something um, real quick. And this is, you know, we've talked in, in Galatians, uh, we've talked in Corinthians, where Paul says, you know, hey, how come you're like so quickly going back to how you were born again, uh, or moving away from it, really? Because how you were born again, you came by faith in God, and you said, okay, Lord, uh, help. <laughs> I can't do this. I need faith in you. One of my favorite songs that you use for an altar call, uh, I don't know if that's the name of it, but it's the line in it, come just as you are. Because what uh, uh, people think, what your flesh must think, and I know what the devil tries to tell you, is that you have to clean yourself up in order to come to God, that you have to be made right first before you can even come to God. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like my children, when they mess up, it's amazing how much it's like the Garden of Eden, how they try to cover and hide and do all this stuff. So I won't name my child that did this, but uh, uh, in the last week or two, I had a, a difficulty with one of my kids that uh, they were just having a really bad attitude. And I said, well, okay, just stay in the bathroom until you can get this straightened out. I had some things to do, and I'd already talked with him and ministered to him, and he's just like resisting, resisting, like, no, no, I'm not going to. And oh, I said he, didn't I? At least I have three boys. And so, um, so I uh, thought, okay, I'm going to go to the other room. So about 40 minutes goes by, and I hear nothing, and I'm kind of like, I better go check on him and see, like, you know, 
what's up, you know, because that's enough time to cool off. And like, okay, finally. And the bathroom door is shut completely. And it's a little, we have a, like, a, what do they call those? A slider door? What is it? A oh, pocket door. Yeah, pocket door on the bathroom. And I thought, oh, okay. So I opened the door. I said, I said uh, hey. And um, his name. I almost said it. And then uh, no response. And I look in. We don't have that big of a bathroom. <laughs> we only have one bathroom. And I look. And I'm kind of like, okay. And there's some shelves in the closet area. And so I thought, well, maybe they like to hide, you know, sometimes as a game. So I thought, well, maybe he's in there. And look, and he's not in there. And so my father-in-law was there. And I said, uh, did you see my son uh, go out of the bathroom? No, no, I've been, I didn't hear anything. You know, I haven't seen anything. I thought, oh, that's really strange. And so I go back into the bathroom again, and I look. And so then I, you know, I know there's no space on those shelves like this, but I look on those shelves and think, well, maybe, like, I just didn't know, and he can <laughs> fit in there. And so I look, and not there. And so then I start uh, yelling around the house, you know, like not mad yelling, but like, hey, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so. No, no answer, no answer. And I thought, this is strange. So my father-in-law starts looking, and my daughter starts looking. And so I go outside, and I go up, and a, there's this little uh, kind of hill above our house, like maybe 10 feet, so we're here. So I go up on this hill, and I say his name, and uh, he said to me, he said, I escaped out the window. And I was thinking, I didn't ask you that. <laughs> but you feel a little guilty, obviously. <laughs> and he's hiding behind these bushes. And you think, like, wow, that's just like Adam and Eve. They just, like, sewed some <laughs> figs on, and they're hiding behind this stuff. And uh, the Lord's like, where are you? <laughs> and uh, there they are. So um, we tend to do the same thing as adults, where we may... Uh, do something that we're well aware this is not the right thing to do. And then we kind of cower behind and all of a sudden our prayer life starts to suffer and our time in the word starts to suffer because we don't really want to be confronted with what we did and we maybe were embarrassed by what we did. And the lie is that God's going to be upset with you for what you did. That God's mad at you for what you did. I think God is disappointed because he wants to have a closeness with us. And when we sin, when we miss the mark, when we mess up, we mess up that closeness. And he just wants us to come back close. Uh, you know, the best example in the word of God that I can think of is the story of the prodigal son who like had riotous, wild, crazy living. If you wanted to like put the definition of flesh out, you could probably put the prodigal son. Yeah. So he spent all the money, did all the drinking, was with a lot of women, did all this stuff. And when and he reaches the bottom of the bottom because he's eating with the pigs. And when he starts coming back, it says that the father saw him afar off. That means like when we're messing up, the father is looking, looking for us, looking for us to give him access, to let him get involved in our junk and take our junk and clean us up and put a fresh robe on us, and kill the fatted calf, and have a huge party, and say, I've been waiting for you. I've been looking forward to this day. I've been anticipating this day. That's how God really thinks of us. 
But we sometimes, we want to like clean ourselves up first and, and see what we can do. But really, that's not how the kingdom of God works. You don't actually do all of these things to be holy, to be accepted, to get special access. It's not by what you do. It's by who you're made to be. Okay? It's by who you come in contact with. For through this Emmanuel knot of union, meaning God came in the flesh to connect himself to flesh. Jesus still has a flesh uh, and bone body. He doesn't have a flesh, blood, and bone body because his blood's on the Holy of Holies, but the Bible says he has a flesh and bone body. He came in the flesh to infuse man's flesh with the life of God, the nature of God, the ability of God, and to remove from our flesh uh, sin, sickness, disease, failure. So he says, uh, I think this is, uh, I'll tell you a minute. I remember his name, and I don't want to get distracted. For through this Emmanuel knot of union, as one has quaintly called it, those great facts of the Christian life, regeneration, in other words, being made a new creature in Christ Jesus, justification, being declared right with God, like, okay, I'm looking at the ledger, I'm looking at everything that you did, every good thing, every bad thing, and I'm declaring that you are right with God, not based on that list, but based on his blood. And redemption are drawn up from the realm of the human and the impossible and made fast or secured to him with whom all things are possible. So that the question now becomes reversed and we must ask, how in the world could this be any other way? If one is in Christ, you have to have regeneration. You have to be made new in order to be in Christ. That's the only way to be in Christ is to be made brand new. Um, for how can the head be alive and the members of his body or the parts of his body dead? You're connected to Christ. So your parts of the body, <clears throat> you are parts of the body, you can't be dead. Because if Christ has life and he's the head, then the body therefore has life. <clears throat> for how can God approve of the head and condemn the members of the body? In other words, God's like, oh, look at Jesus. Look what he did. He went down there. He didn't sin at all. For 33 years, he didn't sin. He sacrificed himself. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a pillow to lay his head on. He was uh, crucified. He was tortured. He was spit on. He was rejected. He was despised. Look at him. But really, just look at his head because the rest of his body is ugly. No, you don't say like... um, after this service, my head is going to walk out and go get some food. It's really hard for my head to walk out without the rest of my body. And you don't look at my head and say, that's Tim and my body and say, that's John. <laughs> if one is in Christ, he must have sanctification. And how can the spotless, uh, spotlessly holy remain in vital connection with one who is unholy? In other words, how can you be connected with a holy God if you're unholy? How can Christ live in you? Uh, Uzzah found that out when he went to study the ark. He's trying to help. He tried to study the ark of the covenant, which held in the Old Testament the very presence of God. He went to study the ark, and he fell dead because um, unholiness cannot come in contact with holiness and still remain living. So what does that mean? That means... Jesus said, or excuse me, Paul said, uh, 
Or no, Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. He's not telling us to do something that we can't do. So how do we do it? How do you get to be righteous? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. The way that you get to be righteous is you're born that way. How did you get to be a man? And how did you get to be women? You're born that way. And so you find like with righteousness and coming to God and being right with God, the way that we do it is we're born that way. Well, if we're born that way, who made us that way in our mother's womb? God made us that way. So who makes us righteous and holy? God makes us righteous and holy. Not by what we do. It's not because I read the Bible every day and pray every day. It has nothing to do with that. Okay? That will help my fellowship. Because the word of God is God speaking to me, God speaking to you. And so as I read the word, uh, the things of God are more real, more prominent. You know, uh, the Bible says actually to the pure, all things are pure. What does that mean? Well, you can, I was in the military, listen. So when I was in the military, there's a lot of young people in the military. And um, basically, you know, anything you say will be turned to a sexual comment. (laughs) Right? But to the pure, all things are pure. And so, you know, when I, I, I learned how they're joking, so maybe that's not a good thing to tell. <laughs> but when I first did, I'm like, what are you talking? I don't know what, even know what you're talking about because it wasn't even my, my realm of thought. I didn't comprehend or understand. And I got a bit of an education. Uh, but... When you look at the word of God, the Bible calls it the perfect law of liberty. And it calls it like as in a mirror, you're changed from glory to glory. So you start to see like as I cast my cares on him, he wants me to do it because he cares for me affectionately, watchfully. He's watching over me. He's waiting for me to do this. He wants to do this. And as I like let that start to take root inside me, not just in my mind, but really more in my heart, as that begins to take root and I begin to understand that, man, then when something comes and extra pressure comes, my immediate, I still might immediately be like, oh, what am I going to do? But then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus cares more about this than I care about it. And what he actually cares about is that I give it to him so he can work on it because he wants my best. And so I start to become more and more conscious of what God is doing in the earth. And it's actually an amazing thing if you look at your own life or you look at someone else's life. And if you took the word of God and the scriptures Uh, in him, in whom, in Christ, by him, by his blood, and you acted like they were true, you would see your life transform. You would see what's in the word of God come to pass in your life. Because when we talk about having the faith of God, it's really like just possess it, just have it. Just take hold of it. Uh, So like uh, don't meditate on it for 25 years so that you can have some more of it. You think about it, you stir it up so that you're conscious of it, so that you act on it, so that you're acting from what the Word of God says rather than from what your flesh says or what reason says. It's really just that simple. So that you say like, you know, I believe I'm healed. Well, why is that in your body? Well, because the devil is attacking my body. 
But I'm not going to come under what he's doing. I'm coming under what Jesus Christ did. So I'm yielding to Christ and I'm resisting this. And it has to go. There's no option. So what, happened, what would happen if you actually believed or if I actually believed that what the Bible said was true concerning health and healing? How would you act? What would you do? How would you talk? How would you respond? And um, that's where all of us are at at any different point in our life. And so if we, um, if we act like the Bible's true, um, it's amazing that uh, it acts like it's true. So uh, the last thing I'll say is, you know, the uh, friend of mine that said to me, you know, well, uh, I don't think healing is really for today because, uh, you know, I never see anybody healed. And I said, well, do they ever talk about it in your church? Do they ever have a, a, a place to pray for people in your church uh, for healing? And he said, well, no, they don't. And I said, well, uh, then why would you expect to see it? And he thought for a second and he said, oh. I guess that's a good point. And so uh, if you and I are not uh, contending for the things of God, if we're not saying, no, this is, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that, uh, you know, because I am a tither and a giver, that my seed is multiplied. So uh, my finances have to increase because I have the blessing of God on my finances. Or, no, I'm not going to... Uh, get Alzheimer's and uh, be demented in my 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s or ever even though in my natural family people had that because why? My, one of my most favorite scriptures in the word of God Psalm 119 verse 128 says I esteem your word above all others to be true and I hate every false way because I esteem his word higher than what uh, people want to say about what runs in your family line or what doctors want to say or this or that or whatever. Uh, I use that in every area of my life. I esteem his word higher. So sometimes I'll read things in the word of God that I just don't understand. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand. But you know, there's some things that uh, when you're growing spiritually that you're really too young to comprehend. And so I just go by what I have on the inside. The Lord said, don't worry about that. We'll get to that. And sure enough, years later, whoo! I got it. I understand it. And then I think back at what I believed and what I understood at the time when I was wanting to understand it, and I thought, I could not have understood that. Look at that. You knew that again. <laughs> you ever amaze yourself as you're like, wow, God really is smart. <laughs> Stand with me if you would. If you're here this morning, head, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you uh, do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, but you'd like to know him. I'm here to tell you what I've been saying in the whole message is that uh, uh, he doesn't care what's going on in your life. You couldn't be too bad for him. You couldn't have done too much for him. You're never going to impress him with your evilness um, or the things that people have done to you. He wants you to come just the way you are because it's not based on what you have or have not done that he receives you, but it's based on his love for you. So if that's you this morning and you're listening or you're here and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like you to slip up your hand and I'll pray with you and for you. If you're listening online, I'd like you to email us at the email info at anchordc.org and we would love to pray with you and pray for you. See Christ living inside of you. Roll all of your 
anxieties and stresses over on him. If you're here this morning and you're full of stress and full of anxiety and you let the pressures of life get to you, uh, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to have you come forward, but you could just uh, slip up your hand and we'll pray a corporate prayer together. And, uh, you know, it's the one prayer that uh, I tend to... uh, some people will come to me and say, hey, I'd like to, you'd pray for me, and, and they're stressed out. And I say, you know, I really can't pray that for you. I can't put your cares on the Lord for you. You'll have to do it yourself uh, because I'm not you, and I'm not the one holding them. And so I'm going to pray a prayer uh, right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. And if that's you, I'd like you to just uh, join with me. You don't have to pray real loud, but just I'd like you to cast your cares on the Lord. Heavenly Father, I come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you care for me, that you love me, that you're interested in what's going on in my life. I right now give you all of my worries, all of my fretting, all of my fears. I cast them over on you. Because you care for me. Thank you for taking them. I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let you be involved in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.